0: Hi, Nexters. I'm your host, Mel Rob, and you're listening to Next Topic, a podcast where we discuss tomorrow, today. During the pandemic, we've all seen false stories on social media about how drinking alcohol can protect you against COVID-19, or how 5G mobile networks can cause the spread of the virus. While these fake news have been disproven by numerous public health organizations, people continue to share them and engage with them. So what makes fake news tick? What makes it easy for them to trick us and be shared faster than factual public health information? And lastly, what can public health officials do in times like this to spread the right information at the right time? Find out the answers in this exceptional talk from Dr. Khadija Ali, an assistant professor in the School of Business at the Lahore University of Management Sciences.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Khadija Ali, and I'm an assistant professor at the Lahore University of Management Sciences. I'm very interested in understanding why people believe and spread fake news on social media, and it's one of my main areas of research. I'd like to talk a little bit about that today in the wake of this global pandemic that we're all facing. But first, a little background. Fake news has become somewhat of a politicized term. We hear politicians using it to describe viewpoints and even real or true information that they might disagree with. But fake news, as I study it, refers to news and information that is intentionally and verifiably false. The first time that fake news really caught the attention of the global public was during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. That was the time that we really saw fake news compete with the popularity of real news and information. In fact, in the last three months leading up to Election Day, fake news stories were more widely shared on Facebook than real news stories, with millions of likes, shares, and comments. For example, the totally false story, commonly known as Pizzagate, claimed that Hillary Clinton ran a child sex ring in the basement of a pizza place in Washington, D.C., Now, as outlandish as that sounds, that story actually led someone who believed it to walk into the shop with an assault rifle and open fire. What we've learned since that time, since the 2016 presidential election, is that it wasn't just an isolated case. Fake news now can be found flourishing in many domains other than politics, and this includes business and public health. Worryingly, as shown in a recently published article in Science, false information is 70% more likely to be shared than true information, and such falsehood also spreads or diffuses faster than the truth online. Making matters even worse is that during and immediately after the 2016 US election, people thought that at the time, maybe bots are behind the spread of fake news that the spread of such polarized and sometimes downright seemingly unbelievable ideas could not be driven by humans. However, research later suggested that humans are in fact largely responsible for the spread of fake news and not bots. Against this backdrop, many people say that we're now living in a post-truth era, where so-called alternative facts and fake news compete with the importance and audience of reputable news sources, and they're important in shaping public opinion. This post-truth era is argued to be the broader context in which fake news is thriving. So what kind of fake news have we seen during the current coronavirus outbreak? Viral fake news stories on social media during this outbreak have spanned across many topics, such as where the virus originated from, to how to cure it, These stories also seem to have had some real world consequences. For example, one false story claimed that drinking alcohol could protect you against COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Now, actually heavy drinking can weaken your ability to defend against viruses and it can compromise your immune system. So if you do become infected with the coronavirus, alcohol consumption may worsen your health. The WHO even debunked this theory that drinking ethanol or high-strength ethyl alcohol can kill the virus. While products with 60% or more alcohol can effectively disinfect your skin, the same process is not going to work inside your body. However, because of this fake news, there have been reports from certain countries that more people had actually died from drinking industrial-strength alcohol than from the virus itself. Another false story claimed that 5G mobile networks spread the coronavirus or COVID-19. Now, 5G is the latest generation of wireless technology that telecoms have been rolling out in segments over the past year or so. Viral posts on social media claimed that 5G technology is actually causing or exasperating the coronavirus. Other posts alleged that the virus itself is a cover-up for the adverse health impacts of 5G exposure. Even multiple celebrities shared posts and false reports regarding this particular false news story. Now, because of this fake news, cell phone towers have been attacked and arsonists in several countries have burned down 5G cell towers. Vodafone, which is the second largest mobile operator in the world, has said that these attacks are now a matter of national security because they're harming the very networks that are essential to keeping connectivity in this particular time of emergency. Finally, there was another idea that the virus is a Chinese bioweapon. So despite evidence from infectious disease experts, that suggests completely otherwise, nearly 30% of Americans in a new Pew poll said that they believe that the novel coronavirus was likely created in a lab. In the US, there have been hundreds of attacks reported on Asian Americans, and many now are filming their interaction or they're carrying guns. A man allegedly stabbed and tried to kill an Asian American family of three because he believed that they were spreading the coronavirus at a grocery store in Texas. So the question now is, why do people believe fake news and why do they share it further? Now, if we think about social media, the sheer volume of, you know, immediately accessible information and sometimes conflicting information, it might lead to something called information overload. This is when the amount of incoming information exceeds our processing capacity and hence it reduces our ability to make quality decisions. The situation is exacerbated by the aggregated nature of social media. Content usually appears together on a news feed, uh, on platforms such as Facebook, and on these kinds of platforms, it might be hard to distinguish between real and fake news because news updates, whether real or fake, look largely identical. So instead of engaging in critical evaluation of content on social media, we might rely on simple decision rules, mental shortcuts or heuristics. One heuristic that we use for making decisions is how the information makes us feel, our reliance on our emotions, in other words. So the influence of emotions on our judgments can actually manifest in microsecond-long exposures. Even one, two-fifth of a second is enough. That's an interval so brief that we may not even be able to consciously recognize or recall the exposure. So, even when only subliminally perceived, emotional representations may exhibit an effect on our evaluation of information. Hence, even when you quickly consume small morsels of information, such as when you're scrolling through information on your social media feeds, emotionally provocative content can contribute to altering your effective conditioning. Our reliance on emotion while evaluating online news can be particularly problematic, as fake news has been often pointed out to use vivid imagery and dramatized scenarios to provoke viewers' interest and attention. In fact, recent research has examined the difference between fake news and real news in terms of emotional appeal, and they've found that fake news is substantially higher in exhibiting specific negative emotions, especially high arousal ones, such as fear and anger. In one of my own studies, I found that emotions may affect our evaluation of fake news, and that this effect may be different depending on our particular prior attitudes towards the topic at hand. Specifically, I looked at how fear and anger affected attitudes and behaviors towards anti-vaccination fake news. What I found is that people who already had an anti-vaccine attitude relied on feelings of fear and deciding whether or not to believe and share the fake news, while those who were neutral in attitude were swayed more by feelings of anger. It's no wonder that given these conditions in late 2016, Oxford dictionaries selected post-truth as the word of the year, defining it as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So now the question is, what can be done to combat fake news in a time such as this? Now, fake news is designed to prey on emotions and personal biases, like I just mentioned. And studies have shown that increased analytical and critical thinking on our part can help us actually spot fake news. So, one seemingly simple thing that we can do is just pause for a moment when we look at content on social media before sharing it. I say seemingly simple because of our reduced motivation and cognitive ability to really stop and scrutinize information on social media. We have a kind of inertia to think our thoughts all the way through, which is why we may end up relying on instinctive gut reactions before we share information further. Recent studies have suggested that even people who are prone to unknowingly share fake news actually do think it's important to share the truth, and they're indeed capable of spotting falseness. It's just that on social media, we get distracted and we act on the urge to share stories without properly really thinking and reflecting on whether the story is true or not. But research shows that a simple intervention that involves just stopping and dwelling on our thought processes uh, regarding the accuracy of a news article can actually make us less likely to share fake news. Second of all, in a time like this, public health organizations and experts really need to be able to promote the spread of good, efficacious information of how people can protect themselves against the risk. Now, in the information saturated environment of social media, um, it's unfortunate that public health professionals are actually competing now with fake news. So even authoritative voices in this environment, they may get drowned out. That necessitates that public health professionals design messages in ways that they receive public attention, even though there's so many other messages that are competing for the very same attention. In this vein, Some people advocate for the use of strong emotional appeals to break through the cluttered plethora of messages, and in this case, maybe even combat fake news. In one of my own studies, I wanted to see what features of social media messages actually get attention through people engaging with the message in times of public health crises, such as an infectious disease outbreak. Particularly, I examined the relationship between fear-arousing sensationalism in social media messages about the Zika virus and user engagement with the message, which is the number of likes, comments, and shares. I discovered that increasing the levels of fear-arousing sensationalism in a message actually increased the number of engagements in terms of likes, comments, and shares. However, this effect was only to an extent. When the level of fear-arousing sensationalism was really high, there was no really significant difference between engagement behaviors compared with the moderate level of uh, fear-arousing sensationalism. I also found that news sources were significantly more likely to incorporate fear-arousing sensationalist elements in their Facebook posts about the Zika virus, whereas non news sources were more likely to completely steer clear of any kind of dramatization. Now, news organizations have long been well-known for introducing sensational aspects to their media messages. It's due to the market-driven nature of the journalism industry. The primary goal there is to capture the audience attention for increased ratings. On the other hand, public health professionals are concerned with eliciting protective and preventative behaviors. In fact, public health organizations, experts and doctors and other members of the health community, they often try to mitigate media hype, fear and anxiety in a population by focusing on creating strictly factual messages that do not appeal to emotion. However, considering this new communication environment, public health messages should maybe be designed in such a way which engenders an appropriate level of concern, which will, in turn, inspire necessary message dissemination and preparedness without causing panic. Moreover, the spread of information needs to happen at the right time. The delayed onset of fear can have consequences, as we have seen in the current pandemic. Delayed fears about the coronavirus have led people to stockpile hand sanitizer and other items like surgical masks, which have been driving up the prices of these items. Hand sanitizer, for instance, was for sale for more than $80 on Amazon. Because of this, some people are stealing hand sanitizer and surgical masks from their doctors' offices and grocery stores, and doctors say that they're hiding these items for the first time. So to quote Time magazine and to end my talk, I would just like to say that it's easy to view the idea of contagious fear or infectious fear as negative. We spend so much time as a culture talking about suppressing, ignoring, defeating, overcoming and curing our fears. But fear is built into us for a reason, and it's really okay to feel it. In fact, our fear is a finely calibrated alarm system. It's designed not to only help individuals, but entire communities survive. So it makes sense to listen to its siren, not to panic, but to heed official medical guidance and prepare at the right moment during times like this. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time.